Hey guys, happy Monday. It's Cordelia. Super excited to get into this week's episode. We are talking today about automatic thought, aka cognitive distortion. So we're just going to get right into it. Let's get healing. I'm horrible at singing, but I thought, why not? It's a Monday. You might you might need a good laugh today. This is Cordelia. Like I said, we're getting into automatic thoughts today. And those are aka cognitive distortions. I'm gonna go through what they are, go through 13 common cognitive distortions. And then go through some ways that you can heal. Okay, so what are cognitive distortions? They are consistent errors in thinking. And they are errors because they are irrational. This becomes a little easier to understand if I just break it down a little bit further. Cognitive distortion. So if you're listening to this and you're like, what in the world is Cordelia talking about when she says those, that phrase, cognitive distortion? Why is she trying to sound smart? Like, girl, can you just speak English? The, I don't want to take that for granted. So I have a background in psychology. My bachelor's degree is in psychology. and. I want to be mindful to just not assume that everybody has that background. In preparing for today's episode, I looked up the dic- in the dictionary. First, I looked up what, how does the dictionary define cognitive? Cognitive is defined, I like this de- definition, connected with thinking or conscious mental processes. Then I looked up how is distortion defined? It's defined as the act of twisting or altering something out of its true, natural, or original state. Okay, so even if you come from absolutely no background in psychology, maybe you've never heard this phrase or these words together, this kind of makes sense, right? Going into this episode, thinking about it this way, just looking at these two definitions from the dictionary. Okay, our brain is doing something, our mental processes, they're doing something to kind of twist and alter what's actually happening in reality. So it must involve the some kind of Thing that's happening in our mental process, the way that we're absorbing and experiencing a situation 
or the things around us and how our brain is then registering that information. So a little background, Aaron Beck is the guy that first developed the theory behind these cognitive distortions. And then David Burns is the one who really more widespread attention and he even has written a book that covers a lot of this stuff and I think he has a TED talk as well if I remember correctly. But these cognitive distortions are a very integral and pivotal part of cognitive behavioral therapy which some people call CBT. And again, if you don't come from a psych background, CBT really, really basically, basic kind of overview of it right here is you have thoughts that then trigger feelings that then trigger behavior. And again, that's a very (laughs) simplified version of it. By giving you that brief overview, you can see why if you're having these distorted ways of thinking, that would be a foundational part of that kind of therapy. And just so you know, there there has been tons of research done with cognitive behavioral therapy and in all kinds of different various mental disorders, mental health issues, and there's been a pretty significant amount of research and there is solid empirical evidence that be very helpful in a lot of different healing processes. So it is a good place for us to incorporate and start in our healing journey. Okay, so why does matter why do our why do these automatic thoughts matter if you're having irrational thoughts if you're believing irrational things about yourself and about the world and about situations happening around you it's going to reinforce a negative way of thinking which in turn is going to impact your self-esteem. It's going to impact your self-worth. How we think and the belief that we have about ourselves associated with those automatic thoughts that we're having is the greatest impact on our self-esteem, period. The tricky thing is no matter what age you are and you're listening to this podcast, These are automatic thoughts that you're having, right? So what exactly does that mean in our brain? Psychologists tend to say cognitive processes are either automatic or they are controlled. So if we're talking about automatic processes, we're talking about stuff that you're doing effortlessly, involuntarily unintentionally, for example, breathing, 
super automatic. You're not even really aware of it. Remembering things. So I'm not sitting here trying to remember what I see and hear necessarily. It's just kind of happening involuntarily. If I'm, if I've been riding a bike for a long time or if I've been driving for a long time, that becomes pretty automatic. I'm able to even listen to a podcast while I drive or talk while I drive. On the flip side, when we think about a controlled cognitive process, we are thinking about something that's intentional. It requires effort. Let's say I go to a cash register and pay for something and I'm doing the mental math in my head of how much change I'm going to get back. That's not something automatic. That's something that I'm working out in my head. But keep in mind that really these kind of processes can also be on a scale. Walking. Like, if I'm walking straight, that's an automatic process. But let's say I start walking backwards or doing something that I don't normally do, then that can, of course, be more on the spectrum of becoming a controlled process. Earlier, when I was talking about riding a bike or driving a car, think about when I first started doing those. Was that an automatic process? It wasn't. Even when I was a baby and I started walking, it wasn't automatic for me from the get-go. You've got to learn those things. Even my breathing example. Okay, we all breathe all the time, right? But when you do meditation or you do deep breathing, that's going to involve some control and that's going to be different than just automatically breathing all the time. I bring that up in this podcast episode because you might be thinking like, Cordelia, if I automatically think these ways, how in the world am I going to change it? It's going to be hard at first, but just like riding a bike, just like driving a car, just like all these other things you learned, the goal is eventually these new ways of thinking will become automated. So our goal is to change these cognitive distortions, to change irrational negative thoughts and beliefs that I have about myself, about various situations going on around me, and to also increase positive self-talk. So we're really working to get rid of all negative self-talk to counter these automatic negative thoughts that are happening with more realistic and positive ways to talk to ourselves. And then eventually, the key is, the goal is to actually believe the things that we're saying to ourselves. We're going to get into the 13 common cognitive distortions in just a second. All right. Did you enjoy that little break from my voice? We are now getting into the 13 cognitive distortions. Number one, the should. 
these are demands that we make of ourselves. So when you say things like should, ought, or must, examples are I should be over it by now. I should have known better. I should have worked harder today. So the trouble there is we think these thoughts and statements are going to motivate us, but they actually don't. They, in fact, diminish our self-esteem. They increase our anxiety. And it's not a helpful way of thinking. In my favorite workbook, which I will put the link in the show notes, it is the self-esteem workbook. And in that, the author writes, one of the only reasonable shoulds is that humans should be fallible. So here's some tips to work on changing the should. Replace should with would or could. And replace should with want to or it would be nice. And if you find yourself struggling with doing that, you can always ask yourself, why am I thinking like this? Why am I holding myself to the standard? So here's two examples. Instead of saying, I should be over it by now, you can say, you know, it would be nice if I was over it. I wonder if there's anything else I could do that would help kind of feed this along and help me process it. Or you could also say, why am I feeling this way? Like, why am I expecting myself to be over it by now? Why am I holding myself to an impossible standard? Another example, I should have known better. Instead of saying that, say, well, it it would have been nice if I knew that. Or you can challenge yourself by saying, why do I think that I should have known better? Is that how I would talk to a friend who was telling me this story? Why, Why do I think that I should know everything or that this should have been the case? Cognitive distortion number two, assuming the worst. So what is this? It's deciding something's going to go wrong before it even does. Or it can be applied to a person. So you determine somebody's intention was bad or coming from an unkind place before even giving them a chance to act. So one example is I'm a parent and my daughter is late from school. And she's supposed to be home by now. And I'm just kind of going on this anxious thought spiral where I'm like, oh, my gosh, I I know that she's in an accident, even though I've not heard of any accidents that, you know, have gone on. Second example is I know that person doesn't want me to come, so I'm just not going to go. So here's some questions you can ask yourself if you are finding yourself thinking this way. What was the situation that was going on and what emotions were I feeling before I had this thought? Did the outcome that I predicted actually happen? Did my daughter, in fact, get in an accident? And let's say I think about it and my daughter didn't get in an accident. 
So what would be helpful is if I reflected on it and I think, okay, how can I remember in the future this, what happened here today? How can I remember that, hey, remember that time that Cordelia, you predicted your daughter got in an accident and she didn't? What can I do? What do I need to remember? And what can I practice going forward in the future? And what can I take away from this experience? Cognitive distortion number three. All or nothing thinking. So what is it? You hold yourself to this impossible standard of perfection. And when you fall short, that's the game. You're like, ugh, I'm worthless. I'm a failure. So basically anything below 100%, you determine that you're garbage. You're nothing. Examples of these thoughts. I always get taken advantage of. I never know what to say at parties. If I don't meet my goal, I'm a failure. If my marriage doesn't work out, I'm a failure. I'll never find anybody else if my marriage fails. So how can you improve here? Practice self-compassion. Focus on what you did well and what you actually did accomplish. And I think really honing in on, okay, I'm using words like always, I'm using words like never. Most things are not black and white, right? Most things are not 0% or 100%. Most things are a mix. So being mindful of that and thinking, you know, okay, fine. Like I wasn't perfect. I wasn't 100%, but that doesn't mean that all these other things are true. Hey, I, I still got 80% of it. I, I, I did my best, and that's all that matters. Cognitive distortion number four, dwelling on the negative. So this is also called mental filtering. It is where you dwell on the negatives and you ignore the positive. So you take all the negative details and you just magnify those. And you disregard all the positives. So some examples of that would be. Actually, let's take my podcast or my Instagram or something. Or my workbook. Say. Everybody all week. So nice. Reaches out to me. They're like, Cordelia, I love all your stuff. It's amazing. It's been. Changing my life. And then let's say one person comments or messages or leaves a review or something and says something negative, like they just, they didn't like it. And in turn, I end up obsessing about that one negative feedback and I ignore all the positive. So a really helpful thing to do in these situations would be to make a list of everything nice that has been said or all the good things that happen in the situation or your day. And challenging yourself and asking yourself, like, hey, am I only focusing on the bad part? 
Am I forgetting? Am I disregarding everything else that that went well? That that was awesome and that made me feel good. How can I tweak this? How can I change that? Fifth cognitive distortion is going to be overgeneralizing. So I'm thinking in absolute. I'm thinking in always, never, everybody. I'm judging myself off one single negative event. And I'm deciding, like, this defines me completely. So I'm a failure because of, of one single thing. Examples. I always ruin everything. Everybody hates me. I, let's say I'm in school and I, I do bad on one test. And I'm like, God, I'm an idiot. I'm so stupid. I, why do I even try? Or I'm in an abusive relationship and it ends and I think, oh my God, I'm never going to find somebody. I'm never going to find a healthy relationship. It's just not in the cards for me. These global statements are so, ugh, they're so hard on you, you know, like they're so hard on your self-esteem. And I mean, they're, they're just simply not accurate. I think when you find yourself using these really broad terms, like always, never, everybody, nobody, practice like tuning in with your mind and saying, okay, can I, is there a little bit better word I can use? Is there a more precise word I can use? So for example, with the test that, let's say you fail a test. Ugh, like I did bad on that test today. I didn't do my best. But, you know, I do well in other tests. I've I've done great in all these other subjects. I'm not a bad student. I'm not stupid. I'm, I did bad on this one test. Or, you know, saying nobody likes me. Change that to, you know, some people don't like me. But some people do. So trying to take a more realistic attitude and approach to it is good. And practice being an optimist or at least a healthy optimist. So not just negating everything. And like from my, from my example of some people do like me and some people don't. And ask yourself, Am I using words that, am I judging myself and labeling myself and doing these things off this one little event? Next up, we have number six, which is catastrophizing. You would be expecting the worst is going to happen or has already happened on Some kind of event or situation that really isn't that catastrophic. So you're either like overestimating how bad something's going to be, or you're underestimating your ability to cope, basically. Some examples would be oh my God, I'm I'm gonna die if we break up. I just couldn't. It. I couldn't bear the thought of it. 
or this is just terrible. It's an awful situation. There's no way I can handle it. Or I make a really small mistake at work. And then I start panicking. I'm like, oh my gosh, my boss is going to fire me. I'm not ever going to work again. I don't know what I'm going to do. So some ways to challenge this are my favorite question would be, what are the odds of this actually happening? Like, all right, Cordelia, let's take a step back. Am I actually, like, what are the chances that I'm going to die if me and this person break up? If me and this person break up, I mean, how likely is it that I'll die? If my boss freaks out at me over this mistake, what if I end up losing my job? I mean, what will I do? So I think anticipating the problem, kind of brainstorming in your brain, like, well, I mean, I'll, I'll apply to some other jobs. I'll reach out to my network, see if anybody else has an idea. And another question that I like is, all right, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, is anybody going to care about this? Am I going to care about this? And that kind of puts it back in the perspective of, all right, this isn't that big of a deal. Number seven, personalizing. So seeing yourself as more involved in the event than you are. And really, you take each situation or life event as a test of how worthy you are. And you kind of make yourself like the center of everything. You assume everything has to do with you. So. For example, let's say you're a parent, your child drops out of school, and you determine, oh my gosh, this is all my fault. Or let's say my partner is tired or mean or whatever, like we broke up. And I say, oh, this is 100% my fault. Or I think, If only I was better in bed, he wouldn't have cheated on me. If I didn't annoy him, he wouldn't have called me names. These are very dangerous ways. So what can you do? You can try to, number one, kind of distinguish, like, causation from influence. So, all right, like, I was annoying. I was annoying. Yeah, sure, I was annoying. But I'm sorry. Like that, no, now that I'm thinking about it, no, that I don't cause somebody to call me a name. That, and yeah, I had my faults in the relationship, but it's not humanly possible that I'm 100% wrong and 100% at fault for everything think I'm taking on a little bit too much of of the burden or the weight here and then also look like take yourself out of the center instead of thinking oh my gosh what is wrong with me everything's my fault why why did he cheat on me like 
make yourself not the lead role anymore and start thinking like this actually might have nothing to do with me i mean there's this person probably has a lot of issues outside of me that made this happen number eight this is labeling so we reduce ourselves or somebody else to a label as though one word describes everything accurately. So I'm dumb. I'm boring. I'm a terrible driver. I'm a loser. You need to shift that. You need to. So, for example, let's say you're saying, I'm stupid. I'm dumb. You need to think, where is this coming from? Is it because I failed a test? Is that what's going on? Okay, well, let me just say I failed a test. Let me not say that I'm dumb. Or, you know, I've I've been guilty of calling myself, like, if I forgot something at my house and, say, meeting up with a friend and they're like, oh, hey, Cordelia, did you bring the thing you were going to bring? And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so stupid. I left it at home. Okay, no. The shift there would just be like, ugh. Gosh, that was silly. That was, I don't know what was happening earlier, but I got distracted and I left it. So the goal is you're not, you're not insulting yourself and you're asking yourself like, what's true? What's not true? Where's this, this coming from? Let me make it a little bit more specific and trace it back. Number nine is the fallacy of fairness. So like this fairy tale world where you everything to be fair this is a big fair world and I mean that it's just a very different world than reality so you think things like this isn't fair why did this have to happen oh everybody at work got a raise so I should get a raise I mean yes these things would be great and I'm sure everyone's thought this way at some point or another But you've got to work to shift and add like a would or a could. So instead of thinking it's not fair, try like, it would be super nice if I got a raise. But if not, you know, too bad. And just taking out that layer of expectation. Number 10 is making feelings back. So also called emotional reasoning. This is so common and it's where you take your feelings as proof of the way things are. So like I feel like a loser. So gosh, I must be hopeless. I must be that way. Like I feel worthless. So I've got to be worthless. I feel ugly. So I've got to be ugly. And how do we change these? Number one, you've got to have a reality check. You've got to tune in with yourself and say, what would somebody who is worthless or all 100% these things that I'm describing, what would that really be like? You have to say this over and over again to yourself. Feelings are not fact. They aren't. It's okay to feel it. It's okay to let it 
sit. It's okay. Sit with your feelings, but remind yourself, hey, this, this is going to pass and this isn't, this isn't permanent. And then another reminder in these moments is a lot of this, these feelings and the reason that you're thinking that the feeling is, is a fact stems back to your childhood to think like, what kind, where's this coming from? And is there any way that I can kind of validate the part of me that this is coming from? Like that inner child that, that lives in me. And can I tell myself like, Hey, I've outgrown this actually. Like I know I thought this way when I was little and it was valid. I get where I was coming from with it, but things have changed and I'm here now and things are different. Number 11 is control fallacy. So thinking that you have no control over the situation. And the important thing to remember here is are you assuming that you can do nothing to change the situation? Otherwise, you're just going to give up before you start it. So instead of just saying, like, it's no good, there's no use, this is how it is, thinking, you know, I, I don't really know. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to think about it, maybe make pros and cons list. And just not, not accepting that you can't, of course, Life is unpredictable and we can't, I'm not suggesting that you have control over everything in your life, but I'm saying when bad things happen, if you just assume that you're the helpless victim that can't pick yourself up and you can't do anything, this is a distorted thought. Number 12 is rejecting the positive. So you just negate anything that's positive that's said about you. So if somebody compliments you, Let's say they compliment your work and you're like, oh, it was nothing. Anybody can do that. You discount everything that you put into it. Like you discount your hard work and you are just like, oh, I'm not worthy of whatever nice thing you're saying. Instead of just saying thanks, you know, and moving along with it. So, of course, here, the anecdote is just saying thank you. Also, Practice complimenting other people and see how they react. Because I notice that when I compliment somebody and they like reject it, I get annoyed. But then if somebody compliments me in the past, I used to do this. I would be like, oh, no. Like somebody would say, you're beautiful or whatever they would say. I would. It felt weird to like sit with that compliment. So what was helpful was definitely just taking note of it, it, it felt good to give a compliment to somebody and have them just say thanks instead of the other way. So treat others how you want to be treated, right? Number 13, the final one that we're going over, is unfavorable comparison. So this is basically when you see the good in somebody else and you so you magnify all their strengths and you minimize their weaknesses 
choices. And then you do the opposite for your own self. This happens a lot with moms. So moms tend to do this. And an example is, you know, somebody saying, I'm just a housewife. I'm just a mom. And then talking about somebody else and saying, well, Melanie is a doctor. She's amazing. And my friend is like, well, I mean, you're a, you're a mom. You're great. You're, you are just, you excel at that. And instead of taking that compliment again, you're like, yeah, but Melanie, I mean, think of all the lives saved. So the difficult thing here is you're comparing yourself to somebody else and then you're ignoring everything else. You're ignoring all your strengths. You're ignoring the other person's weaknesses as well. So a good thing to ask is, am I comparing myself to somebody else? Am I disregarding all of my strengths? Am I disregarding all of their weaknesses? Woo! That was the last one, guys. So obviously I went through examples on each on how to challenge those, but other ways to improve. I'm just going to list a few things here. Number one, in order to heal and to improve, you've got to be able to identify them, right? You've got to be able to know what these are. I would encourage you to spend some time learning about them. As always, I am putting in the show notes links, and so there will be links that you can go to, including all the worksheets on the Google Drive that I have for you guys to work on this on your own. In those same worksheets, there are automatic thought records, so it's like a PDF, and you can either take a screenshot, print it off. Or it's a PDF, too, so you can just print it off at your house. Or you could even just, like, pull out the notes in your phone or something if you want to do this on the go. But it basically is a chart, and it helps you to write down the thoughts that you're having to process and work on changing these types of thoughts that you're dealing with. There's also several worksheets that I've put on the Google Drive including 20 questions to help challenge negative thoughts. Tons, like, so many different worksheets. There's one that is called Fact or Opinion, and it, it gives you examples of statements, and then it helps you consider whether it is fact or if it's opinion. There's one called the What If Bias. So, it a worksheet that kind of helps you tune into a more realistic perspective. There's one called Getting Rid of Ant Automatic Negative Thoughts. And it has a trigger. So in the example, it says, I was late to class. Automatic thought is the next column. And it has 
I'm a hopeless student. I'm going to fail. And then the new thought is in the third column. I didn't plan my route well. This is an easy fix. Next time I'll catch an earlier train. And then cognitive restructuring worksheet. So tons of worksheets basically that can help you hone in on this skill and improve it. If you like the podcast, you can follow me on Instagram. My account is at codependent recovery. New podcast episodes drop every single Monday. So exciting. I love doing these and I'm always excited and looking forward to the next week's episode and it's it's awesome. If you didn't know, I have a few initiatives that I've launched. We had our first Zoom community hangout. If you want to do those, I'll put the details in the show notes. Also, our first book club meeting is on November 8th on Zoom. I'll put the information for that in the show notes as well. And I also wrote and published a 98-page workbook. It's available worldwide. If you want to order it, it's for anybody going through a breakup or a divorce. I will put the link in the show notes as well. I've gotten a lot of feedback. And thank you so much for everyone who has purchased it so far. So incredible. I never, I've always wanted to write something and publish. And this was so, it's just an incredible place. I still can't believe that. I'm freaking published, guys. Crazy. I am, and it, it's inspired me. Of course, I'm going to be coming out with more workbooks and books and everything. So just excited for this journey with you guys. I hope you have an amazing week. I'll see you guys next Monday.